Lead Time is a weekly dose of leadership insights and interviews from Tim Allman and Jake Bessling. Lead Time is for any leader living in a busy world looking to be inspired, equipped, and empowered to lead others to their fullest potential. This is Lead Time. Welcome to Lead Time. Uh, my name is Pastor Tim Allman with Pastor Jacob Besslein. Uh, husbands, fathers, leaders who believe that eternities are changed when a leader chooses to grow. Today, it's just the two of us, and we are walking through this book. You've heard us mention it a handful of times, maybe in subsequent podcasts or Jake and Tim live on Mondays. Well, today we're taking a deep dive. And here's what it says in the very back, what Alan Hirsch and Mark Nelson, the author, say at the very back of the book. As Christians, we can often become starved of imagination, wary of paradox, and devoid of mystery. So today, we want to awaken our imagination. We want to lean into paradox, and we want to embrace the mystery of a holy other God who comes to us through his means, through word, through sacrament. In our faith, there is so much that leans into paradox and mystery. And we want to tap into that today using Mr. Nelson and Mr. Hirsch as tour guides. So do you believe that statement that sometimes a church can be devoid of mystery and imagination, creativity, paradox? Completely. And I was thinking about you go to a bookstore and you see all these these books about the Bible and it's all well and good and worship practices and church growth. And it's like we've got it all figured out. A to Z, you must know all the answers. Hey, Bible guy, tell me this answer. And a lot of times the best answer is I don't know. I don't know. God knows there's a hiddenness to a lot of this And I love that there's a resurgence of the sacraments among young people, Mm. that they're kind of tired of having it all figured out, and they like a historic mystery of God that's being offered through word and sacraments. So it's, it's good to know that that's growing with the younger generation. So today we're looking at four different sections that the book uses. There's been a reduction of the way that we view God. We all have a longing that only God can fill. Point number three, we all need a consistent re-enchanting to view God at work in the world. We need, as you're going to hear, a new lens. And we all then need to relearn how God interacts with us, specifically sensitive to cultural currents, the way God is speaking through the arts, through music, through uh, through pop culture even. I like the book for a number of reasons. One is Nelson and Hirsch lean into mystery, and that really, really captivates the Lutheran Christian in me, the sacramental ways, the mysterious ways that God reveals himself. He also will say, he's a missiologist, these guys are missiologists, and they will say certain words and, and phrases in a way that makes my head cock. Maybe am I am I certain that I agree with them? I like them. I want to agree, but man, I need to deeply consider this. So you hear that all the time. And then at the heart of it is the mission of God. That's the biggest reason I love this book. We get new lenses to see the world through God's eyes, God's perspective. So this is going to be a lot of fun. All right, let's kick off with the first section, which is all about reductionism. We reduce God down to um, an accessible level, um, which removes the mystery of the holy other holy God. They talk in the book about the eclipse of God in that objects, ideas, um, and idols have inserted themselves um, into our viewpoint, kind of blocking our capacity to really view God in all of his grandeur, his fullness. And we live in a limited world 
that locks and blocks the transcendent, transcendence of God. So in what ways do you see this happening in the church today, Tim? So the first commandment is this, do not have any other gods before me. And you'll see Israel's story going after other gods. Well, in our culture today, 2020, post-COVID or right in the middle of COVID-19, we are going after idols. Many of those idols are actually being stripped away. Safety, security, prosperity. Um, we reduce God down to, to bite-sized way that we can fit him in our hand and, and make the world make sense. Well, a lot of those ways that we're trying to reduce God right now are being shattered. And I believe through that shattering, God in all of his fullness and grandeur, the holy other God is being revealed. But when it comes right down front, how do we reduce God? We reduce him by making, making idols, attaching ourselves to idols. And really all that is, is sin, sin which blocks us from God. So there's also ways, I mean, that we uh, reduce God as church leaders. Uh, maybe if you're a preacher, you're simply telling the story in the same way all the time, and you're really reducing it maybe um, to uh, forensic justification that God is a judge and Jesus, yes, uh, steps in to pay for our sins on the cross. But it's really reducing, reducing it down. In the Lutheran uh, tradition, there's a, a guy by the name, a professor, a doctor, J.A. O'Proyce. He wrote a book called Just Words. And he talks about the gospel metaphors, salt and light, um, the forensic justification. Redemption. Redemption, resurrection, restoration, all of these different things. So tell the full narrative of the gospel. Don't reduce it to one thing. Um, N.T. Wright has this quote that I love. He says um, that heretics are formed when elements, which may be important, but aren't central, loom so large that people can't help but fixate on them, debating different views of their idea as if it were the only thing that really mattered. So a good, a good heretic knows how to elevate um, one thing and really make it the right thing, even though it's the wrong thing. Yeah, one of those heretics by the name of Arian, uh, the Arian controversy, his name was Arius in the fourth century. And this is why the Council of Nicaea was formed is because he was saying that Jesus is man, but he's less than fully God. He was leaning into the 100% humanity of Jesus while neglecting the mystery and paradox of Jesus being 100% God. To see the Father is to see Jesus. And so there's one way that Jesus was reduced and uh, brought down. Here's how Brad Briscoe, who is quoted in the book, talks about reductionism. Lean in here. We have redu reduced the church to a building. We have reduced mission to evangelism. We have reduced worship to simply singing songs. We have reduced the gospel to bullet points. We have reduced Christology simply to the cross. We have reduced discipleship to the transfer of information. So what is the answer, Pastor Jake, to not living a reduced Reduced life. Draw near to God. Immerse yourself in the profound, living, active, breathing word of God. Be open then to the mystery, Christian. Open to the mystery of the Holy Spirit at work. God is at work. The book states on page 75, when someone has an authentic experience of the holy, they find themselves caught up in two opposite movements at the very same time. Paradox. They are both daunted by and yet irresistibly drawn into. Daunted by and yet irresistibly drawn into the mystery they have encountered. I love that. Tim, where is this best found in Scripture? I mean, because people might say, is that really scriptural? What's going on here? Right. 
uh, a few different spots. Depart from me, Lord, for I am a man of unclean lips I'm amongst a people of unclean lips. This is Isaiah chapter six. You've got Peter having his feet washed by Jesus. This should never happen to me. I should be washing your, your feet, this holy other God. You've got the women coming to the empty tomb and having this combination of fear and great joy. They left the tomb with fear and great joy. That's always what happens. The paradox of the holy other God. I have no right to be in your presence and yet I am irresistible irresistibly drawn in uh, to be in your presence. So do not reduce the Bible down to this little one thing. Uh, make it about the grander narrative of Scripture. Jesus' uh, life, death, and resurrection, yes, but the gospel, the mission of God is powerful. The section two in the book talks about the internal longing that we all have. Maybe you feel that... Um, the, the God-shaped uh, heart inside of our heart, the, the hole in our heart that needs to be filled by God. They start this section by telling a story of Alex. Alex, who said um, she didn't believe in God because God was unloving, judgmental, fear-driven, and unforgiving. Yet, she still had this longing for transcendence, for mystery, for otherness. And she loved beauty the beauty of the earth and God's creation and good relationships. And the relationship deepened over time. And, and Alan said, I have a pretty strong feeling that this God you say you really don't believe in, um, I don't believe in either. It can also be articulated as a desire to glimpse uh, in moral beauty and incorporate it into every everyday life. And we all have this existential restlessness. I mean, one of the struggles for many Christians, uh, is moving uh, to simplicity, the simplistic Jesus, answers before folks are ready. I mean, it's just like simplifying Jesus. And the Holy Spirit has tilled the soil of their hearts. So what advice would you give us for understanding God's timing, Tim? So three quick points, not to just bullet point everything here. Uh, but when you're in a conversation with a pre-Christian, relax. It's not about you uh, bringing them into the family of faith. It's the Spirit's power, so you can relax. The pressure is off. Listen really, really deeply to their heart's yearning. They're going to use words that are different. I think about times when I've been on the golf course in spiritual conversations. They're going to say things that I, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't talk about spirituality or relationship with Jesus like that. You don't need to correct at that point. Listen for the deeper story, the, the deeper longing, and then do not be judgmental. And speak as a whole, as the relationship evolves, speak as the Holy Spirit speaks through you. You don't have to worry about what you're even going to say, uh, Jesus tells us. The Holy Spirit's going to be speaking through you. And speak from your experience the way that Jesus has, has met you in beautiful ways. Another quote from N.T. Wright, surprised by joy. He and says, hope, actually, is that... An unsatisfied desire, uh, joy, an unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. Hmm. Anyone who has experienced it will want it again. So an unsatisfied desire, that's what he says about joy, which is itself more desirable than any other form of satisfaction. Have you ever experienced anything like that? On the spot here, just kind of thinking... Unsatisfied. Wow, it's just a deep quote there. So, yeah, I, I can give you a story from a lady by the name of Lee Schweikel. Okay. 
Now, Lee, uh, shout out to Lee. We love you. She's in her home in uh, an assisted living facility. She's really hip and trendy, so she's probably watching yes, this you right are. now. Uh, but Lee told me a story about, and maybe lifelong Lutheran, pretty stoic, conservative Christian. This may lead you to go, huh, what's going on? Well, Lee told a story of being in her room, worshiping with us, and literally experiencing the presence of God enter into, and she goes, I can't really explain what it was like, but I know Jesus was with me in that space. He was like so near to me. And she said, I got Holy Spirit goosebumps and I was speechless, she says. And, and the overwhelming emotion for her was joy in the presence of Jesus. Yeah, yeah there was a time where uh, we, as a youth group and a church, um, had some people that ran off into the city and these kids are lost. And it was mm. probably one of the worst days of my life. And I dropped to my knees as the police are involved looking for these kids and all of the leaders uh, were dropping to their knees to pray. But I was alone on, a, on a, a canal and I just remember this longing that I had for God to show up and just the sense that I still don't know how this is gonna work out but God is faithful and he's there. And I, I really can still picture that moment of just saying, all right, I can be at peace no matter what happens. Um, and so God just shows up no matter what it, where it is, even on a canal bank, he'll meet you right there where you're at. So good. So I love this book for so many reasons. And I love it, one, because of its use of metaphor and what uh, Nelson and Hirsch talk about an awful lot is how our existence is like we're in a cave. What happens in a cave? People go to caves to hide. We were on a hike uh, about a week ago and we came upon a real life big cave. And I said, kids, you want to go check out the cave? And they're like, no, a bear, a bear could be in it. We want to stay out in the light on this trail. So anyhow, caves are where people go to hide even from God, even from God. Now, here's the insidious truth that some people may be in a cave and they may not even realize that there is a way out, that they can see the world through a different lens. And their very closed view of the world becomes simply what is relegated to. I'm thinking we're in the Life Center right now. This is the entirety of my world, the Life Center. There's no sky. The sky is simply this white speckled, probably asbestos filled ceiling above right now. There's nothing else but this cave and the cave becomes normal. How sad is that? Plato had that same, that same image way back when to talk about the cave. I mean, you think about why Jesus came to get us out of the cave. He came to set us free from the cave of our sin and he came to give life and life to the full. Thank you, Jesus, for setting us free from our caves. Amen. One of the struggles in living in um, the affluency, the abundance of a suburb of the East, East Valley uh, community of Arizona, it's kind of like the Truman Show at times, you know, hey, everything's going great. Remember when Jim Carrey in the Truman Show, though, um, he lived in that perfect life. It's really a bubble. Yet everything over time, um, that seemed so perfect was very fake. Uh, he eventually realized there was life outside of the community, outside of the bubble. And it's kind of like that for the Christian who comes to uh, be awakened, to long 
um, to get out of the cave and then go give their, their life away to others. So we've only touched the tip of the iceberg right now. There is so much in this book. I actually, it's a deep read. And if you can zoom up, like the words are, some books are larger words, but they wanted to economize how many pages. (laughs) So the font is really, really small. And if we went through the next two right now, we would do a disservice because we would have to go too fast. So you are gonna wanna come back for part two of reframation. And here's a little teaser. We're gonna talk about re-enchanting and then how do we re engage our culture with a new kingdom lens. Sharing is caring. Continue to get the word out about what Jesus is doing on lead time. This is not just about Christ Greenfield. This is an opportunity for the wider church to have a reframation. Jesus is good, man. Pick up the book and we'll see you soon. God, God is good. Yeah, all the time. Peace. Peace. We're done. Oh God, Except we're going to bring this one back. We're going to bring it back. We're not throwing it. Later. You have been listening to Lead Time with Tim and Jake. Please subscribe at cglchurch.org backslash lead time. Thanks for listening. Tune in next Monday for another episode.